Welcome back to Hill Country Institute Live, exploring Christ and culture. I'm Larry Leninschmidt, your host, and we're delighted you were with us today. We serve the body of Christ by encouraging and equipping followers of Jesus Christ to fully show His heart and mind in all of life. We invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to listen to past programs, which are also available as podcasts on your podcast app as Hill Country Institute Live. We have audio and video from past conferences on C.S. Lewis and faith and science, faith and art, many topics, and we hope you'll take the time to visit our website. And now let's welcome our special guest, Jim Pennyman Morin. Jim is a West Point graduate, former military officer, served in Afghanistan, served in Iraq, won the Bronze Star, and he's been working on military and environmental issues for most of his adult life. Jim, welcome back. Thank you for being with us for Hill Country Institute Live. Thanks again for having me. So, Jim, we, we were talking about sea level rise. We were particularly talking about Bangladesh. Uh, you said it's a river delta. Mm-hmm. It means it's a low-lying area. Mm-hmm. So people are, are, as I understand it, losing their farms. They're losing their villages. They're going back into those areas, digging under the water, pulling out bricks. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's really a, a humanitarian disaster that's building, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, at least it's a it's a very stressed situation, which is a shame because Bangladesh, mm-hmm. um, for the last twenty years and thirty years, really has made enormous strides. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of improving its quality of life, yeah. um, and and with a very large, you know, very very young population, that's that's not been a challenge. And so, just as they're starting to finally get a hold of, uh, get a grip on poverty, and and, and create a more stable society, um, yeah. you know, this is, this is starting to, to affect them and, and literally erode that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's sad. So in, in, in other parts of the world, sea level rise is, is perhaps having a different impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Sandy, the big storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, in, here in Texas, we had Hurricane Harvey. Mm-hmm. All the attribution science that I've read indicates that Harvey was much stronger mm-hmm. because the Gulf's hotter. Right. And so uh, hurricane is just nature's way of letting releasing heat, letting yeah, off heat. Right, right. And, and so, the more steam you have, uh, there's more to release. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of basic science. Sure. But, but yeah, you, you look at um, like the, the tsunami that mm-hmm. hit, um, oh, I guess, 10 years ago now, um, the Indian coast. And, you know, people don't realize that thousands of American soldiers were there to, to, to send were sent to help. Of course, that was a you know a tsunami, not a, yeah. not a weather event. It's an mm-hmm. earthquake caused event. But you think about the strain on our military resources just from Hurricane Harvey, right? Yes. The strain on the, on the Texas National Guard, and um, it, and uh, same thing can be said for of course for Hurricane Katrina, which yeah. you know, in the middle of a war, we're fighting wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, having to divert thousands of soldiers and and airplane as well or equipment mm-hmm. to to just help our own fellow Americans from that storm. Um, and, you know, like, as you just said, it's, it's, we've had hurricanes before and after. And, and of course, Texas has a, a long history of some really, really yeah. hard hurricanes. Sure. But it, it's, it, I, I don't need to, to pine on it myself. I, I'll defer to the scientists and a hotter ocean is going to make for worse storms. Sure. And, and more, more uh, capacity to hold 
moisture in the air. Exactly. And so Harvey yep. set a rain record. Imelda is the second, which is really a relatively small storm, and it's mm-hmm. the, the second largest mm-hmm. amount of rainfall. Yeah. But uh, the Texas State climatologist projected that we could have a 60-inch rain uh, with the current conditions, and Nederland had like 60.25 inches of rain. Yeah. So yep. these projections and, and reality are, are starting to come together, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's maybe a little risky here in Austin to to point to the A and M climate department, but you know they <laughs> they'll tell you exactly the same thing that yeah. as you know with with more heat yeah. in, in the in the seas and in the air, you're just naturally going to have worse storms, and that's also true for sure. um, for tornadoes. Uh, but it's also it's it's one of the big challenges for us here in Central Texas is that we're going to have feast or famine when it comes to rainfall with longer droughts, mm-hmm. but then bigger storms, Yeah, you know, and so flash flood, we have to worry more about both flash flooding and drought. Yeah. So flash flood alley yeah. will be worse. The weatherman said we have drought punctuated by floods mm-hmm. and, and that creates conditions, not, not necessarily right here, right now, mm-hmm. but the, the conditions we're talking about are a huge strain on the national defense budget because mm-hmm. if we're, whether you're going to Bangladesh or going to India or going to uh, the Gulf Coast of Texas, uh, you're, you're having to do humanitarian missions, which right. becomes a major part of, of the Department of Defense's budget, doesn't right. it? Right, right. You know, like in, mm-hmm. the, um, in Afghanistan, they had to divert troops several years ago to, uh, to help with the, the flooding in India. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, India's an important ally. You're not going to just turn your back on them. Yeah. Right. And we are remain the indispensable nation when it comes to air mobility, mm-hmm. when it comes to you know helicopters and, and really particularly our large cargo planes. There's nobody else that does anything like it. Yeah. And so if you need to get a lot of aid to somewhere fast, you you need the United States Air Force. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and, you know, speaking of the Air Force and, and hurricanes, Hurricane Michael did a job on uh, Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, we were, uh, my wife and I were there shortly afterwards, and the hotel we were in still had people several months later who mm-hmm. hadn't been able to return to their home. Right. And I understand from, from what I've read that when Hurricane Michael went through there, the, the estimate to clean it up, rebuild it, is over $4 billion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think of humanitarian aid, I think of the damage to our own uh, Air Force, Army, Navy bases from mm-hmm. extreme weather mm-hmm. and what does that do to the defense budget well i mean it it strains it right because yeah. the, the department of defense can't take out an insurance policy you know sure. on its facilities the way a, a normal business owner could mm-hmm. um it's it's just coming straight out of the operating fund and um that is already costing billions and billions of dollars in particular uh the newport news naval shipbuilding yard which yes. is actually owned by northrop grumman mm-hmm. uh recently had to had to spend several billion dollars upgrading its dry docks because they were they were sinking at the same time the sea level was rising right. and you know that is the only place in the world you can you can build a nuclear aircraft carrier and uh, and it's right across the, the water from New, from the Norfolk Naval Base the world's largest naval base and very yeah. much the the seat of American uh, power to project military force mm-hmm. you know and th- that is already um, suffering from those from that changing sea level rise and yeah. and having to invest a lot of dollars to be able to keep that base because it's 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 irreplaceable and similar challenges at the large naval base in jacksonville florida yeah. well in san diego mm-hmm. uh from what i've read they were uh doing some 
consideration of what to do for the future. And the one thing they decided to do was to raise a new pier they were building, 75-year projected life, raise it a foot. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that would be enough yeah. to cover the yeah. expected. But at the same time, they're having to worry about wildfires, yeah. you know, especially at Miramar, just in, inland from it. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows it from Top Gun. But, you sure. know, it's they're kind of dealing with both both sides of, of our changing environment and what it means to just keep a, a base um, functioning. Yeah. And Pendleton, mm-hmm. you know, the Marine base mm-hmm. has, has similar issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, one of the things that uh, caught my eyes, I've been reading recently, you need beaches to train for beach landings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the beaches that they're using there are diminishing. Mm-hmm. And as sea level rise goes up, California mm-hmm. is losing a tremendous amount of their beach. Mm-hmm. So how do you factor that into your training program yeah i mean you certainly have to get creative right yeah. and and so yeah every time you have to uh adjust things right mm-hmm. change how you've been doing things there's a cost to that there's, mm-hmm. you're spending time figuring that out instead of figuring something else out yeah same thing goes with diverting troops to something like hurricane harvey mm-hmm. you know those are troops that were supposed to be preparing for combat yeah. or spending time with their family recovering from their their recent deployments right and so um you know we 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 ask a lot of these people uh young men and women and um everything we do to place more of a burden on them uh Mm -hmm. is is really gonna limit that much more what what they can do yeah or what they're prepared for yeah we've done interviews with uh chaplains you know Mm -hmm. military service chaplains and and the issues that families face are, are very real. Mm-hmm. And so if you're taking downtime that was important to that soldier, that Marine, whoever it is, mm-hmm. to, to recoup and be with his family, if you're taking that to take care of the damage from Katrina or Harvey or Sandy or whatever it is, uh, the floods up in the Midwest. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's really a, it, it, it's not isolated to the coast. It's also not isolated to the desert. Right. Uh, all these areas are suffering. And what mm-hmm. does that do to military uh, morale and preparedness? Yeah, I, I think it um, you, in a lot of ways it comes down to the cost. Right. And so uh, a good example here close to home is the San Antonio, which is the, the main Air Force hub mm-hmm. for uh, for training new airmen. Uh, and they've had increasing water stress and then have gotten really creative and, and done some really impressive work mm-hmm. on conserving water on the base as well as yeah. finding new water sources. Um, same thing with Fort Bliss out in, in West Texas, uh, looking at desalination for their, you know, there are water reserves deep under the desert, but they're, mm-hmm. they're salty. So you yeah. have to desalinate almost like what mm-hmm. they're actually exactly like people do in Saudi Arabia to create yeah. clean water from, from salt water. Um, but again, those that's all getting paid, you know, out of out of your tax dollars. Sure, right, and, and that's money that that's taken away in a sense from military readiness, as, right. as I would ordinarily think of that. Right, being right. able to fight. I mean, that's what military does. Right, right, right. again, because the you know, Department of Defense can't insure things, and also, uh, you yeah. know, you have to think about the cost of, of fuel. Mm-hmm. Right? The military doesn't can't hedge fuel the way it can't hedge commodity prices like a, like a large conglomerate can. It's actually against the law. Mm-hmm. And so when the price of oil goes up, the Air Force pays that much more for oil, which the, the largest consumers of, of petroleum in the world, when you think yeah. about our bombers and fire aircraft and, you know, but also just our, our base infrastructure, too, is an enormous uh, consumer of energy. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, some of the biggest challenges in terms of DOD energy is what I think back to my combat deployments and, and thinking how dependent we were on 
AA batteries because mm-hmm. that's what made our night vision goggles work. We made the laser pointers on the end of our weapons work. Uh, our radios are, are also off batteries. And so we'd have helicopters fly us out batteries, you know, not more food, not more ammunition, um, not more water even. Sometimes it was just a battery resupply so that we could continue to function. And that's, and of course, necessity is the mother of invention. And mm-hmm. there's been a important and really pretty impressive strides in the last decade from the, from the military specifically on that in terms of uh, flexible solar panels that you can put in the backpack to recharge batteries, you know, on your own. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of these kind of small energy improvements uh, because all our radios and equipments uh, and, and really like planning tools are done with computers, you know, we, we need air-conditioned tents in those countries. It's, mm-hmm. um, and so enormous consumption of, of diesel fuel for generators. But then they've experimented and, and implemented microgrids now that, that cut that use way down. Mm-hmm. And so there's been a lot of ingenuity by the Department of Defense in being more energy independent yeah. um, and uh, in a way that actually really kind of harkens back to our roots. People forget that the you know, U.S. Navy really pioneered the use of diesel fuel in, sh- in ships in a time when other people were still using coal and steam, and it gave us a longevity that other navies didn't have. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that energy revolution applies just as much now as it ever did. Of course, nuclear energy, you know, also very much pioneered by sure. by our, our military and my grandfather. And, um, well, an you know, extraordinary so, record, too, yeah, safety and... Right, and mm-hmm. so we, we continue to, to lead that that transformation in a lot of ways, um, but in ways that, like GPS and so many other technologies, um, have have civilian benefits too. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, in in your book, or excuse me, your paper, cutting the tether, enhancing the U.S. military's energy performance, uh, you you really got into a lot of the issues dealing with fuel. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess the title came from a quote from uh, General Mattis. Yeah, yeah, uh, just a you know. A, I think it's a meager two-star general at the time uh, when he said it, but he said, unleash us from the tether of fuel, just because yeah. it was, particularly in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, in that mid part of the last decade, so reliant to these massive fuel convoys to, to feed our equipment, mm-hmm. uh, both the generators and the trucks and the tanks. You know, it was a huge liability in terms of human um, human cost yeah, because they, those, and, yeah, those yeah. those convoys had to be on the road and they had to be on the major highways and you know they made very easy targets and there there are a lot of Americans that were killed guarding yeah. fuel. Yeah, pretty hard to to hide yeah. a, a convoy with yeah a bunch of trucks. Yeah. I don't know how many, but uh, know, hundreds of them. You yeah. know, it would be yeah. it, it still it still remains one of the more impressive sights. Yeah, like the daily daily truck load into to like the base I was at. Mm-hmm. Well, you, in your in your paper, um, you said that American reliance on oil is a strategic liability, mm-hmm. and uh, so the, the as I understand, the Department of Defense has a goal of being twenty five percent renewables by twenty twenty five, and all of the branches and and the Pentagon are all focused on that. Mm-hmm. How do you think they're doing? Are they making good progress? Yeah, they've actually. They, I, Still making quite a bit of progress. Of course, the cost of, of solar has come down, as a lot of people have mm-hmm. have, have learned um, throughout the country. Yeah, uh, military bases a lot of in a lot of ways pioneered that uh, large solar installations over the last two decades, especially in these places, uh, like desert bases like Bliss and 
and mm-hmm. the Navy's bases out in California, as well as uh, China Lake, the Navy base in the eastern, uh, more desert part, kind of close to Death Valley in California, okay. gets geothermal energy, and it really pioneered that, and, and you know, enormous amounts of energy from that without a single uh, ounce of carbon being released into the atmosphere. Excellent. You had a statistic that the average soldier in Afghanistan burned through 22 gallons of fuel per day to power vehicles, mm-hmm. generators, and uh, for communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a lot of lot yeah. of fuel to get yeah. to well, you think those about, convoys. Right. Yeah. You think about 100,000 soldiers like we had at one point sure. in Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, and, and the cost of transporting that fuel, you know, over from from the ports in Pakistan, you know, through Pakistan over the mountains to a large convoy via a large convoy to a large logistics base and then getting it to the small outpost you know up in the afghan mountains you know looking over these these passes where the the taliban sure. would try and infiltrate you know, you're paying four hundred dollars for every gallon That's of that 22 gallon i just didn't realize yeah. it was that much mm-hmm. yeah well uh gosh there's a term that the military uses to describe climate change threat multiplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what does that term mean and why why is it significant? Yeah, so it, it kind of return back to the depressing way we started this show <laughs> about how uh, human conflicts, you know, yeah. arise. Yeah. And uh, of course there's throughout the world, right, there's there's just conflicts that exist, right? That not necessarily violent conflicts, right, but there's mm-hmm. tensions that go back to whether it's religion or um economics or, or just political Tribal. conflicts, tribal, right? Fields and McCoys, you know. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. right, you know, and and uh, those exist, but then they get multiplied or exacerbated by some other factor, mm-hmm. right? And climate change is, is maybe the perfect example of that, right, where things were already bad or they're already tense, and now yeah. you you have failing crops or or flooding fields, Mm-hmm. Or flooding fields followed by failing crops, you know, yeah. and so um, that that just takes all those those tense situations and ratchets them up in a way that when you when you kind of follow the patterns of human history have pretty predictable results. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, because you, in uh, in Central America we're losing farmland mm-hmm. in Syria and the Sudan uh, because of heat and drought. Mm-hmm. So. We have migration. Now, mm-hmm. all the migration is not for that reason. There, right. there are a lot of other factors. Right. But it, if, if, if we had, you know, a factor of 10, well, now we've got a factor of 15 or 20 or whatever it may be, you know, a percentage or something. I but it, it's, it's definitely enhancing and growing that problem. Right. It's pushing refugees from Africa into Europe. It's pushing refugees from, you know, Central America into the U.S. That becomes a security issue, doesn't it? Right, absolutely, and yeah, that's why you have so many retired generals and admirals signing on to to groups and and papers, white papers that talk mm-hmm. about exactly this because you know it's it's not a partisan thing, it's not a you know left versus right or conservative liberal thing. It's it's just these are people who have studied security threats their whole lives, yeah, and dedicated their lives to keeping both America and the world safe. Mm-hmm. And, and they're looking at the facts and they're looking at the analysis in the same way, you know, that they learn to look at the potential of a enemy surprise attack, right? You think back to um, Pearl Harbor. And yeah. if, if you've ever seen the old movie Tora 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 or read the, read the sure. history books, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had cited a Japanese sub that 
earlier that, the night before. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, well, let's not do anything until we get confirmation, right? And so we learned that, you know, Sunday morning on December 7th, yeah. what the consequences were of waiting for confirmation. And so you get um, military officers, you know, like, um, like all the ones that have signed on to this this recent report from the Center of Climate and Security and the Institute of uh, Council on Strategic Risks um, that just put out a really fascinating security threat assessment of global climate change that, you know, I encourage, encourage people to pick up if they want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it looks specifically at different regions around the world, so but specifically kind of hones in on Africa, uh, Indo-Pak region, so mm-hmm. in India and the South Asian continent as well as mm-hmm. East Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then South America is all places that, you know, when you look at the projections for climate change, the temperature rise and all the things that that means in terms of sea level rise and drought and famine. Yeah. And their predictions are a high to catastrophic risk in all, all those regions. Europe and North America, because of our strong political systems and relative um, wealth in terms of, of natural resources, yeah. still a medium and high risk. Mm-hmm. But for those those countries that are already, in some cases, struggling to feed their people, uh, you, you add climate change to the mix, you add famine and, and drought and flood to the mix, um, you know, you're at, at a catastrophic risk of, of violent conflict that... And if we've learned anything, I think, in the last century as a, as a people, right, is that we can't just hide behind our, our oceans. Mm-hmm. You know, we learned that in, in World War II yeah. and, and since. I think we learned that again on 9-11, right, that you just can't, you can't turn your back on your, on your brother. And, you know, as, as a person of faith, mm-hmm. I, I believe that's true. You know, I think uh, you, you go back to, to Genesis, right? That's one yeah. of the lessons God's telling us is that you just sure. can't turn your back on your brother. You, you are your brother's keeper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's true as a matter of faith, but it's also just as a true as a matter of, of economics and history. Sure. Well, when God finished his creation, he created us, or that's the last part, and mm-hmm. then he gave us responsibility for it. Yeah. So we need to take care of it in every way. Right. And, and somehow... We need to stop putting up the greenhouse gases and find other energy sources so that this whole thing unwinds. Yeah. Because it's going to continue to get worse. Right. And I, I think a lot when I think about climate change, about what Jesus said in terms of his physician, heal thyself. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think that was Jesus taking a cheap shot at somebody. He was reminding you like that God's given you all the all yeah. the powers you need to solve most of your problems. And, and working in clean energy and, and throughout this military work, I've realized just how much brilliance there is out there and how many mm-hmm. brilliant solutions there mm-hmm. are. And it's been really great seeing those come into fruition over the last 10 years and, and giving me a lot of hope yeah. about the next 10, 20 years, about what other new ideas will come out mm-hmm. that will help us solve those problems. Because yeah. I, I really believe God only gives you the challenges that you can, you can deal with. Right, mm-hmm. that you can face, mm-hmm. and you know we have these solutions out there. We just have to have enough trust in ourselves to go implement them. Yeah. Well, back to the idea of being made in the image of God. You know, God is the great Creator. We're sub-creators in the in mm-hmm. Tolkien's words, and and mm-hmm. so that gives us the capacity to do these things that that make a difference. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Jim, we're kind of getting to the point here. Where we need to wrap up. What? Uh, 
What would you like for our audience to know about the U.S. military, climate change, and you know, anything that we haven't covered or key points, just anything you'd like to ramp up with? I think it's just important to remember that you know, these are people who are dispassionate and, and know the importance of being dispassionate about looking at risks and danger mm-hmm. and making decisions accordingly. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, a lot of them love the environment as much as anybody else. But just as importantly, you know, they've taken a cold, hard, unbiased looks at these things and said, we got to do something. And um, I think so much gets lost in our society where we don't trust what other people have to say or we, we get suspicious about their facts or, or their agenda. Yeah. And, um, you know, fortunately, the American people still respect their military in a lot of ways. And uh, I hope they continue to respect their opinion and that's analysis. Um, you know, when it comes from, from uniform sources or people who, who spent their life in uniform. Sure. Well, I have great appreciation for the, the science the military works with. And you mentioned the Aggies, you know, they're, they, they do great work. So does UT. And, and I, I don't know of any major disagreements. I mean, UT and mm-hmm. A&M's physical science departments are, are in agreement about the issues here. Yep. As are West Point and Princeton. And yeah. Wheaton and, and yeah. you know, the, the, the Christian and non-Christian or secular schools yeah. are all... You go to the, any of the service academies, you'll see a lot of impressive work being done on clean energy. Yeah. You know, both for the, the operational side, being able to move around the battlefield, mm-hmm. but but also on the, the facility side and really just the basic in, installation or energy like we use it, you yes. know, here at home. Yeah. Um, they're all taking it really seriously and applying the same ingenuity to it that they've implied to so many other things. That's great. Well, Jim, uh, I feel like we could just keep talking, but uh, unfortunately, we, we're, we're running out of time. So I, I want to thank you for your time today, and I want to thank you for your service, and thank you for the way you're continuing to be involved in, in critical issues. And um, hang in there. We need you. Yeah. Well, thank thanks, you very much. Thanks for continuing to help people think. And to our audience, thank you for being with us today. I hope you'll visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, to listen to podcasts or our previous programs, and you can also catch them on your podcast app at Hill Country Institute Live. There's audio and video from past conferences on faith and culture issues such as work, science, and art, and topics of concern such as environmental stewardship and fighting human trafficking. We ask that you consider supporting the Hill Country Institute and this program financially so that we can pay the radio station and continue to be on the air. You can donate at our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, or by calling 512-680-7993. That's 512 512- 680-7993. Thank you very much for being with us. And let's keep in mind that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and let's represent Him as His ambassadors with His heart and mind and love wherever we go.